Uh, so just bear that in mind. Uh, but let me just read uh, our scripture this morning. <clears throat> but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your man- uh, messenger and a minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about him, about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your, ser- in your service to me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we gather here today and uh, have this opportunity to to look at your word, Lord, and we ask that you would send your spirit and help us, help us to understand what is uh, being spoken to us here today, Lord, and then help us to to apply it in our lives. We ask this in your precious son's name. Amen. All right, so I said I suggest to you that these verses provide an example of a model man from a model church. But the first thing we, gotta, we probably ought to ask ourselves is, who is this Epaphroditus? All right. He appears twice, only twice in the Bible, both times in Philippians. Um, and so we don't know a lot about him other than he's got a, a fairly unfortunate name. Okay. <laughs> this is not Epaphroditus. Do you know who this is? Aphrodite. Okay, we don't want to get him confused. Um, it kind of makes you wonder, poor Epaphroditus, how he, you know, what his parents were thinking when, when they named him. I, I thought of um, Johnny Cash as a boy named Sue, um, but I digress. By the way, <laughs> I had to wade through the lake of fire to find this picture. Um, I don't suggest images of Epaphrodite, and especially not if children are around. You can pray for me, please. I've repented. Um, but I want to, once we know a little more about Epaphroditus, I'm going to suggest to you that it'll tell us something more about the church, uh, and this is the church in Philippi, because um, from Scripture, we don't know a lot about him, as I mentioned. Um, he's mentioned uh, again at chapter 4, verse 18, uh, and you might easily just blow right by him in the Bible, just like all the genealogies and everything else. You know, the, Paul, Paul mentioned these people offhand every now and then, and sometimes we don't stop and ask ourselves, who is this? Uh, here's, this is one of those, well, in all circumstances, we probably ought to do that, but this is one in which um, I suggest to you we should, because he is a model man. So let's start with uh, what Paul says about him. First, Paul refers to him as his brother, okay, the Greek word, you have it there on, on your sheets, Adelphos, uh, and that meaning one, obviously, in close affinity to Paul, so he's, he, he's, he's an associate here, obviously, he's not his blood brother, but he's an associate, a close associate to Paul. And so this starts to give us an, an image that uh, Epaphroditus is very important to Paul. He holds him in high esteem. And if Paul holds you in high esteem, you're probably a pretty important person. Okay? He also refers to him as his fellow, his helper and his fellow worker. You see there. Sunergos. Paul refers to those who helped him in spreading the gospel as his fellow workers. This is, um, this is important because from this we understand that Epaphroditus is engaged in, in spreading the gospel. He's not just there as some kind of clerk or somebody just assisting him or somebody who's just delivering some money, as we see, which is, is very important 
um, thing that he does. Paul next refers to Epaphroditus as his fellow soldier. Some of you will relate to that. His comrade in arms. <clears throat> and this is, this is a term of high honor for Paul to give him. Um, some think the, that he uses this metaphor because uh, Philippi is, is a Roman military outpost, so maybe uh, he's drawing them in by using metaphors they might understand. But either way, we know from this, again, that, uh, that, that uh, Epaphroditus is, is fighting alongside of Paul, their comrades. Um, he also refers to him as his messenger, his apostolos. Uh, the messenger here being, again, someone of extraordinary status. Now, we're not talking about the highest use of this term. The highest use of this term would be a messenger from God or a prophet or something along those lines. But Paul uh, is, is still using the term in a, very, um, in a way that, that in which he, he exemplifies a high regard for Epa, um, Epaphroditus. And finally, Paul says, uh, calls him his minister, Leitorgos. And here he's talking about one engaged in personal service. This isn't the school nurse he's talking about. He's talking about somebody who's deeply caring for him and who he needed to care for him. Okay, so in summary, we know from, a, from, from, from what Paul says about him, okay, we see, we see him as a brother and a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, a minister, and he's highly esteemed in the eyes of the man who founded his church, okay, the man who was responsible for the spreading of the gospel throughout the region, throughout the Gentile uh, area, indeed, to us, one of the most important people to walk the earth. So I suggest to you that if Paul thinks he's important, we ought to, too. Um, there's, there's even evidence um, that perhaps Epaphroditus was a bishop or later became a bishop. So why am I I'm harping on this point? I, you know, that evidence is kind of spotty, but, but nonetheless, why am I harping on this point that Epaphroditus was somebody important? Um, why am I harping on this? this? I, I want us to get a sense of what the church, who the church sent here. Okay, the church here um, sent... Marty. They didn't send the intern. They sent Marty. They just left the intern to sit back and talk to you guys. But this is a significant thing. <clears throat> we also know that the church was, uh, was a big giver. If you jumped ahead to, to verse 415, and we'll, I'm sure we'll cover this, uh, this will be covered later in, in, our, in our, our talks this morning, um, but it says to us, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at first at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And verse 418 then goes on to say, but I've received everything in full and have abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, which you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And don't miss the reference to Leviticus, Leviticus 3 there. Paul uses that quite a bit. We're, this is a sacrificial offering that the church is giving. Uh, if you turn then to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 5, reads, Now, brethren, we wish to make, you, uh, make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, in that a great ordeal of affliction, uh, their abundance and joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging with us 
begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. If you go back and you read, he says, You alone, Philippi, even in Thessalonica, you alone sent for my gift, sent me gifts. And we have this reference to the churches in Macedonia. That's who he's talking about. Okay? So here you have this church that's giving out of its poverty. You can reference back to Mark 12, 41. The widow's might. They are, the church is exemplifying as a church what Paul, what uh, Jesus uh, gave us as an example of, the, of, of a, someone who truly gives. And, and um, not only do they give, but as we talked about, they also sent uh, their very best into the mission field. So um, if you think about it, this is a model church for us. Paul had founded the church. He went on his way to continue spreading the gospel. The church could have said, nah, you know, go on your merry way, Paul, or probably your unmerry way, because Paul didn't have a very merry way, did he? And go out, and we're just going to hang back here, and we're going to work on our programs. We're going to work on our preaching. We're going to work on our, our worship. We're going to work on all this other stuff. We're going to make an awesome, massive, cool church. But you can just go your way. Now they didn't do that, and, and um, I'm not suggesting here, please get me, <laughs> straight on this, that really good worship and really good teaching aren't vitally important to God's church and to our growth in Christ. But I am suggesting that maybe there's more, and I think that the church in Philippi is teaching us that. What is a non-model church like? Look at uh, Mark 11, 15 through 19. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry on merchandise through the temple. A non-model church might look like the temple that Jesus came upon. Okay? A church that's all commerce, but no production. That's the non-model church, but Philippi gives us the model church. Now, I want to I I move on because um, we also here are talking about a man who I submit to you is a model man. We already know Epaphroditus was highly esteemed by Paul, that he was a brother, again, a fellow worker, fellow soldier, minister, and we know from these verses that he sacrificed, obviously sick to the point of death, tells us that Epaphroditus understood his mission and was willing to go to the mat to die for what he was sent to do. We don't know what really endangered his life, but it's very likely he was quite ill. In fact, we know he was quite ill. Why? Because look at those words. God had mercy. He didn't go to CVS. Okay? He didn't go to the minute clinic. He didn't go to Fairfax, Nova, or whatever. He didn't have any of those things. He was in, presumably, Rome or far away from home, suffering with Paul. He was down to his last rope there, the end of his rope, and dependent on God having mercy on him. But he had faith, and God did. <clears throat> so, we know that a model man doesn't let something such as danger, and we've had this established several times already in this study, stand in his way when it comes to the most important thing he is charged with doing. And that is what? Helping Paul spread the gospel truth. He doesn't 
shy away from that. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to go searching out danger for purposes of spreading the gospel. That may be necessary sometimes. Sometimes I think we make a little mistake of thinking that people who are in more dangerous situations are somehow more worthy to God than people who are not. And I don't think we should, we should be careful with that because I submit to you that you have neighbors in your very neighborhood who are not in a very dangerous situation in terms of where they are on earth, but they are in a very dangerous situation in terms of where they are in their belief. And we, we have an obligation to step out. I do too, obviously. So let's do it together. But we may not be able to avoid danger. Matthew 16, 25 says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. And that's true of all of us, and it certainly was true of Epaphroditus, and he understood this. So Epaphroditus never took his eyes off the mission. He would leave nothing short of death would prevent him from, uh, from completing it. And we should praise him for that. But actually, there's another characteristic that I want to focus on today, and and, and sort of close with this. By the way, those, no, those words, close with this, are such, it's like such a false optimism, you know. <laughs> like, you know, the Olympics have a closing, but they're still three hours long. Um, Paul says to Epaphroditus here, uh, but I thought it was necessary to send you Epaphroditus because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. So, first question you've got to ask is, how did the church know Epaphroditus was sick? Interesting point. Um, it's not like he had a cell phone or there was even mail there. It wasn't like he could text somebody and say, hey, I'm not doing so well. Uh, mail back then went by, along, by, by the way Paul sent it, you know, by letter sent with somebody who happened to be going that way. So somebody had to be going that way in order for the church to understand that Epaphroditus so far away was in this desperate situation. Um, most likely, what was Epaphroditus doing when he was going to visit Paul? Chapter 4 tells us he was delivering money, funds, resources to Paul. Probably a considerable, considerable amount, which means he most likely was not traveling alone because you wouldn't go with a lot of money in this world or in our world today by yourself. So, most likely... He was with somebody, maybe another person, maybe the intern got to go after all, and at, the, and at the end of the day, that person probably left Epaphroditus in a dire situation to return to Philippi and bring the news, Epaphroditus is dying, and by now, he's probably dead. This distresses Epaphroditus, and the fact that it distresses Epaphroditus tells us, in my view, a lot about him. The word that's used there, uh, ademoneo, is to be in anxiety, to be distressed, to be troubled. Um, I don't know if I have it up there. No, I don't. Uh, but it's on your sheets. It's not just mild apprehension. This is like heart-wrenching for him. And um, it tells us again a lot about him. What it tells us about him is that not only did he understand how important the mission was and he wasn't going to let anything stand in the way in order to accomplish this very important mission, but he never forgot who he left behind. 
And I've got a feeling that some of you can relate to this. I mean, how many in this room have been deployed at some point in your life in various circumstances? And I'm guessing, I haven't been deployed, but I'm guessing in those situations, I don't even have to guess, some of you have told me. Maybe if you're lucky, you can Skype your family now and then. I know some people get deployed, some of you all get deployed, and, and you can't even, you can, your family can't even know where you are. And those of you who fought in wars farther back, there was a lot less opportunity. Um, so your wife, your kids, your moms, your dads, your brothers, your sisters, whoever it was, were here. And you were there in a dangerous situation and they didn't know. Um, I don't know if there's anybody here in law enforcement but I have some, some friends who are police officers, and, and the wife of one once said to me, what, he goes out the door every morning, and I don't know if he's coming home. And he says, but I, I get used to it. I, you know what? I don't believe her. I don't believe you get used to that. I don't think I could get used to that. That's service. The bottom line, though, is a lot of people paid a price and served for Epaphroditus to do what he did, just as they do for you all. So do me a favor this morning. If you have served, if you are in law enforcement, if you've ever put yourself in harm's way for me, just thank your wife or your kids or your mom or your dad or your brothers or sisters. Just do that for me today. Because they've served. And I know, I thank you, because I know you've faced the distress that Epaphroditus knew so well. Oh, I'm really going to close, but I do want to with this. As far as I know, none of us, certainly no me, are deploying today. Some of you, if you're in law enforcement, may be going out into the mission field you're called into, into a place of danger. But for most of us, today, this day, we're probably going to get in and head down to 395, to the Pentagon, or over to Tyson's, or you know, down the hall to Matt Ross's desk. <laughs> Matt is such a blessing. He has so much grace. He's an awesome guy. Um, we're going to go. And we're going to go do important things, important things for the Lord, important things for our country, important things for the company we work for, no matter what it may be, very important things. We're going we're gonna to tackle that mission like Epaphroditus tackled it. That's what God wants us to do. Um, but let's not forget the other lesson that Epaphroditus gives us, because I think sometimes it's probably easier to remember those we leave behind when we're going far away into a dangerous situation and we're worried about our safety, but sometimes we can forget all about them when we go into our life in this world and have in front of us the mighty mission we've got to accomplish. And we forget, I've forgotten. I won't say you, but I will say me. I have forgotten that I have a wife, that I have three daughters and a son, and I've forgotten it even when I've walked in the front door of my house after a long day at the office because I still got the mission on my mind, and I forget that the reason I have that mission is those kids and my wife. So, it doesn't mean we don't do what we're called to do, but... What Epaphroditus spoke to me when I read this passage was, don't forget those we leave behind.
I'm going to ask you to do one more favor for you this morning. And that is, at some point, maybe, in your day, send a text. Don't do it while you're driving. Or an email, or heaven forbid, pick up the phone. Call your wife. Call your mom. Call your dad. Call your kids. Call somebody and just say, hey, I know you. I know you're there. And I love you. Just remind them of that. It's the best thing we can do as men is serve God and serve our families. So I'm also going to ask you to do me a favor. There's my phone. Send me a text. Remind me what I just told you. Let's hold each other accountable. I can't stand up here and say what I'm saying and then not do it in my life. Why would you ever listen to me? I can see some numbers getting written down there. I'm going to get lots of texts today. This is going to be great. Thank you. So, some discussion questions, and then I'll close us in prayer. In what ways is our church modeling the church in Philippi? In what ways might we do better? What can you do to make a difference? In what ways is your life modeling the life of Epaphroditus? And in what ways might you improve? And is there someone you've left behind for the sake of the mission? Take a moment, maybe you're on your tables or on your own, and pray for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are blessed, Lord, that you have given each of us an important mission. That mission, Lord, is to go into the world and to make you known as we have been blessed to know you, Lord. And Father, let us also never forget that behind us are those who rely on us, Lord, that you have blessed us with as well. Please help us to hold each other accountable, Lord, to be godly men, to be godly fathers, and to be godly servants of you. As we move into this week and this year and all the days ahead of us, we ask this in your precious son's name. Amen.